Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. Powered by DeerCast. Popping my peas over here. Your episode. What? Your Tim. I know. You're Tim Chelswick. You're Matt Drury. And I, before we jump in, like I got to recap a little bit of last week. We, <laughs> we had Dustin Lynch on. We had Terry on again, but we had Dustin Lynch on. And we also got to witness Tim's soul leaving his body. This is a good word for that. Yeah. <laughs> I just asked if like the real wild clip of the week next week could, could be, be us recapping Tim's body leaving his soul. And then it's Dustin's face. So here's what happens if you didn't watch it or, or listen to it. At the very, Tim's been trying to sing Seminole Wind on the podcast for basically since he picked up his guitar. I mean, that was the whole purpose. I've been saying no since he picked up his guitar. Well, he brought his guitar in in order to get it signed by Dustin. And somehow along the line, somebody, this ghost hand, handed Tim a guitar from Offset. And then we goaded you into playing Seminole Wind in front of Dustin. It really was like... A turkey, like a gobbler, seeing just a tail fan. I just remember seeing the guitar coming at me like this. I didn't see who was behind it. It was Joe, just by the, the way. <laughs> thanks, Joe. <laughs> just a big guitar coming at me. And I was like, oh boy, this is like, this is, this is happening. Yeah, well, it was hilarious. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> For an observer. Because <laughs> Dustin, I mean, I know, he's kind of an accomplished musician. And then to have to play, like, I, I, the whole reason I wanted to play was like, it was a gag, like a stunt for the show. But then you put Dustin in the mix and the owner of the company. Now it's a gag that I'm can get behind. Suddenly, <laughs> I'm going to the bathroom in my pants. It's the only gag that I could get behind because it was at your expense. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so. and I, it, and, and Terry was like, why don't you go through the chorus? Sing like, you know, and I was like, I want to hit the high notes, Tim segment as quick as possible. Well, you, you, we even put lyrics in front of Dustin so that if he wanted to sing along, he could. And he never, he just stared Sold at you like you were a monkey doing a math problem, man. It was hilarious. Yep. <laughs> like we got pictures. Scott was taking pictures of the whole thing. And we got pictures of Dustin's face when the guitar came in. And I thought, Oh, this is happening. Yeah. Huh? Like awkward. <laughs> I, I couldn't have been more happy to be a part of it. <laughs> I'm glad it brought you some joy. Yes. So anyways, we'll definitely have to make that a real wild clip of the week. Well, and then to add insult to injury, I got taken out by a Chewy Werther's <laughs> yesterday. Right. Yeah. So you were Mr. Wise Guy and you bought a bag of Chewy uh, Werther's originals uh-huh. because Terry likes them. Yeah. And then you had them on your desk and you lost I decided a crown. to try one and I took two chews on it. It's the first and piece I, of candy you've probably had in a year. And I lose a crown in the process. I had 10 pieces at least. <laughs> All good here. Yeah, I think so. I need a vacation day or four. All right. Yeah. Right around turkey season, <laughs> which is this oh. Monday. Yeah. So, mm. all right. Well, we got a good guest Speaking here today. Speaking of turkeys, we got Daniel Hayes from Mossy Oak. What's up, Daniel? What's up, guys? 
yeah, you missed all the shenanigans last week. We had Dustin Lintron and Tim just, you know, really Gosh. Tim stole the show from Dustin. If you can believe that. <laughs> <Not> possible. <laughs> Sounds like it. So, uh, you, yeah. you know, you got, you, you have um, a lot of knowledge in this department because you guys have like one of the coolest turkey camps ever. And you always get the fun guests. Like you guys had Luke Combs in last week down in Texas. Like I, I'm dying to hear some of those stories. What's Luke like? Oh, he's, he's great. He, uh, he, you know, we've got, we've got a Mississippi connection. Uh, Luke's from North Carolina, but there's a couple of his, uh, best hunting buddies that are, uh, that both went to Mississippi state. One of them, Dan and Reed Isbell, you might've met him before the brothers hunt. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, they were at NWTF the past couple of years cause they live around Nashville. But, uh, one of them, Dan had a band at Mississippi state, uh, called Jamie Davis and soul gravy. And, uh, they had a song called Mississippi Moonshine. We used to go listen to them at the bar. Uh, and we never just, you know, after they graduated, we never heard anything from them. Jamie is Luke's guitar tech, and Dan is one of uh, Luke's closest songwriting buddies now. He wrote five or six songs, uh, including the what's going to be the the first cut uh, single off the new album. That's um, awesome. Anyway, so we, we got to know Dan and Reed and Luke all together. And they're, I mean, uh, you can't leave the camera rolling for a lot of it, but it's one of those groups of, of buddies that just start talking crap to each other and you're just crying laughing. <laughs> he uh, looks like Lou looked like he's just a good old boy. Like you, you could have him in any camp and have a good time. Yeah. 100%. I mean, he's, he's our kind of guy. You, I mean, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, uh, you know, somebody like that, when you have him in camp for the first time, you, you pretty get a pretty good read if they're your kind of guy early night right off the bat and Luke's just like one of the guys for sure. Daniel, when you've got someone like a big country star like that in camp, is it expected that at some point they're going to break out a guitar around the campfire or do they, is that the last thing they want to do? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Don't invite Tim. No, I mean, you know, with a, with a lot of guys like that, I mean, it depends on what point they are in their uh, like touring schedule or what kind of year they've had. Luke, obviously it's pretty, it's been mayhem. You know, he's playing sold out shows at Madison square garden. He's about to play a couple of his first uh, stadiums. He's playing the freaking Mercedes Benz uh whatever um superdome deal in atlanta mm. uh so he's when he when he's in camp you know he's got people that need stuff from him left and right every single day of the year when he's in camp uh he is just trying to take as much time to relax and chill out as possible so uh i mean it's, it's different with all of them some people like to bust out a guitar and play a couple songs and some of them uh want to give their vocal cords as much rest as possible and luke's definitely in the rest his vocal cords uh period right now because it's just i mean it's a whirlwind it's crazy how popular he's gotten the past few years it is you guys had a, a cool photo from this past fall where he came into your hunting camp and uh you guys had like two or three bucks on the grave it looked like the most amazing cold front must have moved through down there is it was it an unbelievable hunt or what oh uh, it was it was the best week of deer hunting that, that we've had in in years i mean probably a decade it was it was crazy we i mean we normally i mean we're we're like uh if if y'all are the big leagues for how y'all uh organize and and manage your property like on the management side we're right there but on the organizational side uh once deer season rolls around we're like you know we're still in high school compared to uh y'all we've got old tree stands still hanging around and uh you know we're lucky if we get if we get one really really good week a year we just don't, and we don't do a lot of entertaining either. You know, we had, we had uh, Luke and a lot of his buddies, all people that we're friends with, uh, come down and, you know, we're just hoping we get one or two really good hunts. And, uh, we ended up killing six bucks, which is unheard of 
for five days of hunting down there. My cousin Jack was down there with us too, and he killed one with his bow to cap the week off. But it was uh, Neil, myself, uh, Vandy, Jake, Jess, some of the guys that were helping. God, none of us did any hunting ourselves. We were just, we were in full God mode. Yeah. Uh, Neil, especially Neil's like the number one God when it comes to camps at home. And yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable week. Neil's ate up with hunting, isn't he? <laughs> Neil is like, I always think about like each of your roles there. And I, that's probably a good thing to, to jump into next is just kind of growing up around it. But I always think of Neil as like, he he's, he's like your dad in the respect of like, he'd rather just be out in the woods, right? He'd rather be out and hunting, setting up, being a gamekeeper. Like that's his real passion, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he just, I, you know, I, I say it all the time, but I get my like, sense of direction and situational awareness. I can get lost going to a place I've been a hundred times and he'll, uh, he'll remember, I mean, literally it's happened before. We'll, we'll go somewhere that we went in first grade, uh, where I was asleep in the back seat and Neil 20 years later remembers how to get there. I mean, his sense of direction is unbelievable. He definitely got, I mean, as far as spending time outside, we're, we're identical with, uh, how much we enjoy hunting and how much we hunt and, uh, spend every month of the year doing whatever we can, uh, out of the camp. But, uh, that Neil, Neil inherited more of dad's and Papa's woodsmanship and, and, uh, sense of direction, situational awareness. than I did, I mean, he's like a freaking, it just, I mean, dad's the same. If you've ever turkey hunted with dad, you know, he's like a ghost in the woods. Uh, Neil is, is just like that. He's like, whatever. Back in the day, he would have been Daniel Boone, David Crockett, uh, out there. Um, I mean, he, he just, yeah, he, he's, we both we both inherited uh, all of Dad's uh, love for the outdoors, but Neil has more of the um, the frontiersman uh, to him. You can just <laughs> drop him off in the middle of the woods, and he's going to find his way out with a that's uh, cool with a deer on his back, <laughs> campaign style. <laughs> <laughs> Mental note: Don't follow Daniel to the tree stand. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if you you and I went together, we'd really be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we're the same. Well, Daniel, we wanted to we wanted to talk about so mossy oak is is bigger than camouflage. It's really a lifestyle and a conservation movement. And you guys have recently done something that kind of I, I don't know that anyone in the hunting space has ever really done before. And that's with uh, a U.S. postage stamp. Yeah. Uh, so there's a everybody knows there's a long history of uh, wildlife conservation stamps in the United States going back decades with. Uh, you know, primarily everybody associates it with uh, migratory birds, the federal duck stamp uh, that everyone's required to buy every year and the state duck stamps that you're required to buy. But uh, if you if you do some digging, um, I mean, it, it's just fun to look at if anybody gets bored. But going back and looking at some of the old uh, the hunting licenses and tags, uh, the little pins and some of the wildlife stamps that a lot of states used to have for, I mean, bass, whitetail deer uh, Turkey, whatever they're all, it, it's, it's a lot of fun to look at just cause it's the artwork and everything that people used to use the, there's some cool, uh, whitetail paintings and Turkey paintings and duck paintings, whatever. But, um, when the wild Turkey revival started coming along, I guess when it, when it really everywhere started rebounding in the seventies and eighties, when the national Wild turkey federation was founded and, uh, they introduced a wild Turkey stamp and uh, a lot of States started doing a voluntary Turkey stamp program and it raised, uh, tons of money and in just about every state that had an avid population of deer of, of turkey hunters um, in the 80s and 90s started doing turkey stamps and for one reason or another i don't really know why uh, pretty much every single state in the country uh, stopped doing their their stamps and 
you know, it's, it's not, it didn't require too terrible amount of work. I'm sure anything to do with a government agency, there's all kind of strings attached and unnecessary political BS that none of us know about. So I'm sure they had their reasons for uh, ceasing those programs, but um, yeah, they just kind of stopped. Arkansas does a, does a state turkey stamp now. And I think maybe Wisconsin uh, does one in some form or another, but, but other than that, the turkey stamp program has, has all but um, died for the past couple of decades. Uh, and so we were, we were talking with a, a buddy of ours, Jason Worley, who's from Missouri, uh, goes by the old pro turkey hunter on, on Instagram. And he's, he's a probably one of the leading turkey historians in the country for old magazines and books and uh, call history and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we the stamp program has been a hot topic lately because everybody's worried about the state of the wild turkey and populations declining in, in some states. And it was just like a light bulb moment. We we're like, why, you know, why does everybody just look at the government and think that they're the only people capable of uh, reintroducing a stamp program to raise some money? Maybe if a private organization did it, it would kind of get a, give a kick in the butt to some of these uh, states and other agencies that are procrastinating, bring their programs back. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was that simple. We just, it was like a light bulb came on and we we're like, you know, turkeys are literally in the DNA of Mossy Oak. I mean, Mossy Oak started with dad trying to hide better from turkeys, uh, hunting with Papa. And we care, anybody who knows anything about Mossy Oak knows we care a lot about uh, turkeys. So we're like, we're the, we're the ones that do it. You know, we're, we consider ourselves the most turkey brand uh, in the in the hunting world. Um, so we should figure it out. And at that point, we started digging around, figuring out what all it took to, to do it. And it really was not all that much. I mean, if a kid wanted to do it as a, as a school project uh, and somebody gave him a little money, he could have pulled it off. Uh, it was because you know, we, we just started uh, talking about it in the, in the winter, in the middle of deer season. And uh, yeah, so we, the most important thing at that point, when everybody sees a stamp, the, the artwork that you use is kind of the flagship that uh, is the focal point of it. And back in the day, Mark and Terry probably remember it, but there's a, an old painting called a Mossiac moment that was painted in, in 1996 uh and it's been hanging above it's hangs in dad's office and it's been above the mantle at our camp for uh my whole life or most of it i was six when it was painted but we saw it and we we're like all right well there's only one painting we have to use it's a father and a son sitting up against the tree and yep. uh two long beards strutting in front of them and it's it's a beautiful painting uh but for whatever reason we didn't own the painting even though we commissioned it and the guy that painted it was kind of a recluse he's like a tile contractor he lived uh back and forth between Montana, Wyoming, Arkansas, kind of bouncing around. And uh, it was really like, we didn't have any kind of modern means of communication to get up with him. And we couldn't, we couldn't track him down. Uh, and so I was like, dang, I'm, I'm way too indecisive. If, if we had to commission a new turkey painting, trying to figure out if, if we use Ron Kirby, who's good buddies with all of us, or, uh, you know, go another route with a kind of unknown artist. Man, and then a friend named Brent Rogers, who's one of the other ladies from Iowa, but he's one of the other leading turkey historians in the country. Uh, he just goes and tracks this guy down on his own without me even uh, knowing anything about it. So anyway, we got we got permission to use the Mall Street moment, and after that, it just all came together. Uh, and we didn't really know how many we were going to sell, but um, if you might have seen the Outdoor Life article that, that they published, but um, yeah. we we raised twenty thousand dollars in the first twenty four hours, <laughs> uh, and it was I mean it was buzzing on social media. So many turkey hunters were uh, fired up that we uh, when we introduced it, it was the reaction was amazing to see and. Uh, I mean, it'll clearly, it's going to be something that we do every single spring now. Uh, and most importantly, cause the, I think the kind of trickle down effect of this is what I was really hoping for. If there was a big reaction on social that maybe it would trigger a lot of these state agencies to do it. And that's where you really start raising 
you know, you go from raising thousands with us doing it to millions if they mm-hmm. uh, do it at a large uh, scale. So uh, I saw all kinds of people that were putting it in their story and they were tagging their uh, local state agencies going, nice. right, what's your excuse now? Most of you just did it. So uh, let's see it. So I, I think it will have a, an effect where, because Mississippi was already close to bringing it back out. Missouri is one of the, everybody looks at Missouri as one of the best state game agencies in the country and has so for decades. Um, Mississippi is also one of the ones that leads the way with Turkey. So I think, I think you're about to see dozens of states bring it back out and it's going to translate to millions of dollars raised for wild turkeys. So that's incredible. So when you guys go into this process, you're working with the, you're working with the government. They, they're printing out the stamps, but you're facilitating the actual purchasing. Is that how it works? Like I know you go to Mossy Oaks website, it's $15. You purchase the stamp, literally all proceeds go to, you know, go to turning yeah, so conservation. It'll be, um, so, yeah, so the, the government or any state agencies don't have anything to do with our uh, stamp. This is completely independent. So we, because um, it's not a, it's not an official U.S. postage stamp. So we just did it uh, completely on our own. Every cent from the fifteen dollars of that stamp is going to go back uh, into a fund that we've established. Um, and where I think the the biggest gripe that pretty much anyone has because nobody really trusts. Uh, completely any government organization because of the lack of transparency that they see sometimes. And, uh, you know, with, with any organization, people, um, they just never know. They always just assume a little bit of whatever they donate is going to go toward mm-hmm. paying someone's salary yeah. or some kind of fees that they're just not aware of. And, you know, with, with places like NWTF and groups like that, like obviously they have to pay some bills, even though they're, they do more for wild turkeys than anyone in the country. There's just some, when you have a, a big organization, there's just a little bit of overhead that, um, is, is part of, of running an organization that big. So uh, transparency is the biggest thing because that's what we see most people complaining about. They just want to know exactly where their money goes. And the other thing is that you see on social media, especially with uh, Mike Chamberlain and, you know, the, the Wild Turkey Doc, uh, people that are that are really transparent with their research, you see a lot of good projects going on, but there's not like, it's not like these people have GoFundMe pages or Venmo accounts set up where yeah. you see really good research going on. You want to donate 20 bucks or a hundred bucks. Um, there's not really any kind of program set up to do that. So for us, there's a lot of turkey owners out there that even if it's 15 bucks or we have people buying, you know, 20, 30 stamps at a time. Uh, if, if they have somewhere they want to donate their money, but they don't really know how to donate it other than giving it to the NWTF. Uh, if they want to fund just one specific project, there's no way to do that. So for us, they're giving us our money, our money and yeah, they're trusting us as a turkey brand uh, to make sure it goes to the right places. And, and for us too, because a lot of people, they say, whatever, if you're funding something in Mississippi or Georgia or Iowa, whatever, uh, what good does that do me if I hunt in Minnesota? Mm-hmm. And most of the really, really, really good turkey research going on right now, there's an amazing project in Missouri going on uh, where they're tagging pulse, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, and there were, they, we had them on the GameCube podcast, and there was a lot of uh, really cool uh, things that you never would have thought about with you know, all that would go into having to tag pulse and, and study them. But whatever all the all the research that they're doing it's not that's not going to benefit missouri that's going to benefit every single state in the country that has a huntable population of turkeys um the same way saint jude operates with uh cancer research they do some of the best research in the world there and they share it with every uh every hospital in the world it's just open source so a lot of the most important turkey research going on benefits every single state in the country um so that's kind of what we're we're looking for we're not trying to fund 
we're not trying to spend all this money to fund something that only benefits two or three states. We want to find research like the like what's going on in Missouri right now that benefits everyone's turkey populations and biologists in every single state. So you, uh, you're working that. with Dr. Chamberlain. I saw on your website, you're working with Dr. Chamberlain and one other guy, right? And and they're going to yeah. help. Uh, Marcus, uh, Marcus Lashley. Okay. Uh, they'll help dictate where the funds go, what projects you guys invest the, the, all the funds into, correct? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I think they're, they're two of the most uh, trusted and, and reliable uh, wildlife biologists in the country. And they, they both are very active on social media. So people kind of trust, uh, their level of transparency and the the coolest thing with guys like that and the way social media has made knowledge accessible, you get a lot of guys that they're wildlife biologists and they uh, call themselves doctor, but they they're more worried about speaking in terms that only someone with a doctorate degree can understand and not really uh, in terms that the average hunter can understand. But uh, Dr. Chamberlain and, and Lashley both, they're incredible at taking really complicated research and uh, putting it in, in words that, you know, any of the three of us or any other uh, regular hunter who, who doesn't have a doctorate and, and wants some wildlife biology field can understand it clear as day. So that's the most important thing is there's good research going on, but, you know, you need to translate it in terms that uh, any hunter can understand. And that's that's what they're doing. So we're yeah, we're I think a lot of people trust them. and We're really proud to be uh, working with them under their guidance. I, I love the fact that you guys have sidestep the federal government because of the bloat and the inefficiency and the lack of transparency and said, screw it, we're just going to do this ourselves. And you've got guys that most of the turkey world trusts to make good decisions. And the other aspect is like, you can be way more nimble. It takes the government months and years to make a decision. But if you find out about some good research happening in West Virginia or whatever, like you can you can turn and and pivot and make that make that choice as to where you're going to allocate. Now, in terms of is there going to be a, a reporting function at some point, like a feedback loop for folks that are maybe invested in this process now? Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, we that's you know one of the things with and even with National Turkey Federation, uh, you know, even if the NWTF is not um, if if this even though this money is not going toward the NWTF, they still are the most uh, informed uh, group by a mile in the country on what, you know, what and where the the most essential research projects are going on. I mean, they, they're just aware of everything. They know what's good, what's not great and uh, what is worthy and needs, um, which, and one of the most important things is who needs money. Cause there's a lot of government grants that go out all the time and you might have some people that get a million dollars and then you got somebody else who is really passionate that needs 2,500 bucks and they can't, you know, they're trying to sell, cakes to raise money uh so being it being really nimble like you said um and and using the guidance of these people that really know what like who needs the money and where's the most important uh because that a lot of these grants that's that's the thing like you see these big government issued grants for these like enormous tracts of land and really uh daunting projects going on that require millions of dollars but there's a lot of really uh cool stuff that people who are just really passionate about hunting are doing in their neck of the woods and they just need a few thousand bucks uh, here or there from a few people mm -hmm. um, to cover their expenses and, and make it worth their while. So yeah, like you said, we're really nimble. If we find a project on a Tuesday that uh, needs $5,000 and we decide that uh, that's where some money's going, they're going to have it in their pocket by the next day. We don't have some grand oversight uh, of anybody that is going to stick some red tape up there. Sure. So you guys are, you know, that one of the kind of the mottos there is the camo conservation and what exactly to the person at home listening, what exactly does that mean? I mean, I know pers personally what 
conservation means to your grandpa, to your dad, to you guys? What's that mean from a company perspective and kind of internally the message that Toxy kind of from, from the top down gives to everybody and, and how you guys go, whether it's Ducks Unlimited, NWTF, Turkeys for Tomorrow, what, what, what are the things that you guys are doing to, to kind of classify yourselves as the camo of conservation? Yeah, I mean, I think it has a couple meanings. Uh, one, like you already hit, we've we've supported um, you know all the the major flagship conservation organizations uh, in the country for a really long time. Uh, all the you know National Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, um, you know QDMA now has a different name, but back in the day they used to tell a story about uh, Dad had to take a loan out to write him a check to donate money to him to make sure that uh, we were taking care of everyone who needed uh, taken care of. Uh, and even, you know, Bonefish Tarpon Trust and some of these big uh, fishing conservation organizations at a high level, uh, that reflects a lot of our commitment to those partners. But, you know, plenty of people do that. There's there's companies that, that don't even have a hunter that works for them uh, and don't know two things about the outdoors that, that give millions of dollars to some of these big groups. So that alone doesn't make us necessarily any more committed to conservation than uh, another group out there. But like you already said, the the, the difference with us is – uh, the commitment all the way through with the lifestyle of being a gamekeeper. Um, I mean, the the mentality of leaving your piece of dirt better than you found it has been long before Mossy Oak was around. That was ingrained in dad from Papa. Uh, as everybody who's seen dad and Papa together, they know that, that that's what they care about. Um, without the the land and the critters, there's you know nothing for us to uh, enjoy. So taking care of them is, is first and foremost uh, what's most important. And, and I think more than our commitment to our, all of our friends that, that have some of these flagship conservation organizations and the amazing work they do, we will always support them. But the thing that makes us different is uh, the aspect of being a gamekeeper. Um, even the, like the, the little stuff, if you uh, listen to the gamekeeper podcast or you subscribe to the gamekeeper uh, magazine um, that used to be farming for wildlife, you know, going back a decade, uh, we were publishing the, the quarterly magazine uh, with small projects that people can do on their piece of deer hunting land or uh, turkey hunting land to improve the uh, habitat for their wildlife. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff that people don't even know about. I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't know about Gamekeeper Magazine. Um, I mean, anybody who deer hunts knows about Biologic because it's been a long, around for a long time, but uh, we've got a tree nursery here in town, mostly native nurseries. Uh, that is, that's incredible. Anybody who's coming through West Point and uh, going by stopping there to see it, you know, Dudley Phelps, anybody who listens to Gamekeeper knows he's our tree guy. Uh, and he helps run the ship there. Um, Mossy Oak properties, you know, you can, you can literally do anything you want through Mossy Oak and some of these things like the nursery. I mean, that, we just operate that like a small business in town. It's not like it pays all the bills, but uh, it is 100% reflective of, of the things we care about. And in any aspect of, uh, of your piece of dirt, whether you're buying land or, or you've just got a hunt lease and you want to plant a food plot on it or plant some trees and, uh, and improve it, uh, you can do all that through us. And those are, my mom used to call them hobbies gone wild because dad, he really cares about trees. He really cares about nutrition for uh, deer. He really cares about uh, land. I mean, all these things are, were manifested in the things that make up Mossy Oak uh, with some of our conservation brands. Uh, and yeah, more than anything, that commitment to conservation, it's all about, because there's plenty of hunters. You talk about conservation and you just immediately think about these big organizations, but uh, you know, Earth Day is coming up and you get a bunch of people that, that don't hunt that try to act like Earth Day is all about uh, their way of life. And a lot of people that live in cities that, you know, might get outdoors 10 times a year that think that they're leading the way in conservation. And 
uh, I mean, hell, even if all you do is plant food plots for your deer and you take really, really good care of the wildlife on your land, you're doing more than 99% of the population of the country, uh, regardless of if you're, you're giving your money, uh, elsewhere, you know, if, if, if every hunter takes care of his, his piece of dirt, uh, that's the most impactful thing on the planet. And that's what we try to empower everyone to do. You know, we want every single person out there that whether you duck hunt, deer hunt, turkey hunt, whatever, we want you to be a gamekeeper on your piece of dirt. And, uh, collectively, I mean, we all know that hunters, uh, do more than, than, uh, anyone ever thinks. Cause, cause like we said, the, the little projects that people do on their dirt just to improve the hunting quality, um, they might not be actively doing that saying I'm the biggest conservation in my conservationist in my County, but they are like all those things are the things that make, uh, what we do uh, so important for the, the health of the wildlife where we hunt. Yeah. Between Matt and I, there's a lot of turkeys that we haven't killed. And that's how we help so conservation. <laughs> I need a tree guy. These guys are legit. When you got a tree guy, you know, you're, no, you're, you're no, a gamekeeper. You're a tree consultant. <laughs> well, yeah, I, no, I'm, I did Austin Delano too. He's the, Oh, sorry. That's, right. coming in. That's Austin right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, we've got the tree guy, Dudley, and we've got the food plot guy, uh, Austin Delano. Uh, so I've got no shortage on top of dad and Papa. I've never, uh, I never have a question that I can't immediately get an answer for. We so always like, called uh, Bobby Cole, Bobby Logic. <laughs> yeah, Bobby too. Yeah, yeah. We, if I've got a question, I'm calling the GameKeeper crew and I'll right. usually get an answer for it. Yeah, they know their stuff. I'm curious, you know, you've, you've mentioned – your grandpa quite a bit you obviously your dad and that history i'm wearing a, a mr fox shirt you know you guys do such a good job of um continuing to make sure your grandpa's getting out there and and trying to get a turkey hunt and how old is, is he 93 now he's not in 91 he's 91. Be 92 in a couple of months uh so i assume that you guys are going to try to get him out there again this this turkey season or no Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, as long, as long as he can hold a shotgun, he's going to be getting out there. And even if he couldn't, we'd be riding him around in a golf cart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially the way the last two years went and, you know, we know a, a, a bunch of old people that don't have great immune systems were kind of confined to their homes for better or worse. Uh, Papa had to spend a lot of time indoors and his health's not great. So now, even though the world's back to normal, uh, and he's not worried about anything health wise, he just, he spends a lot of time on the couch just because he can't get around and move, uh, like he used to. So he looks forward to the time he gets to spend in the woods uh, more than anything. I mean, it's so rejuvenating for him and it giving him something to look forward to. Uh, if, if he didn't hunt, I mean, I don't even know that, that he would still be around because the excitement that he gets just sitting at home with the anticipation of knowing he's going to go. Uh, I mean, he killed two, two bucks this past year. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people saw the picture of him and my grandmother with yeah. his deer that he killed in January, but uh, he killed another one uh, on the next to last day of, uh, of deer season in Alabama that we didn't even share pictures of. Uh, and then he got a shot at another one the day after that and got so excited that he dropped his, uh, his old rifle on the ground and, and kind of knocked the scope, uh, off center. I mean, he gets so jacked up for it. It is crazy. You would think that you get to that age and, uh, maybe you've, you've chilled out a little bit cause you, you kill more deer and, uh, turkeys than, than most people are ever going to see in their lifetime. But I mean, it's, it's the opposite. He gets so excited and everybody, yeah, everybody associates him with, uh, turkeys and for good reason because he's he's been obsessed with turkeys his whole life he's been hunting them longer than just about anybody who's been alive because back when he was when he started there just weren't very many states that had a huntable population um so but man he gets he gets jacked up about everything he's he's killed a uh i don't know what his streaks at with deer but even though he gets to hunt less than six seven times a, a year the past few deer seasons he's killed a buck uh and a couple of seasons more than one buck uh 
the past few years. Um, I mean, he's still, he's a killer. Like everybody thinks that he gets out there and it's just like, Oh, he spends time in the woods. That must be so good for him. He probably doesn't care if he gets one or not. I mean, no, he's, he's still <laughs> yes. every bit of a killer as he used to be. I mean, he wants to kill one so bad. He, don't get me wrong. It, like it means a lot to him just to be out there and it does for sure. I mean, it lifts the spirits and his health's better yeah. uh, and all that. But I mean, he, he wants to kill one so bad. How many consecutive Turkey seasons has it been that he's harvested? Is it like 71 or something? 74. Like, so 74. this, this is uh, season 75. So we got to get him one. Uh, we got to get him one this year. That's crazy. I mean, that's incredible because, like you said, I mean, you date back seventy five years. There weren't many turkeys. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, not not a huntable population hardly anywhere. No, I mean, he uh, yeah, when he he killed his first turkey in nineteen forty four, he was too young to uh, fight in the war. So, uh, and he was too young to even lie about his age since he was born in nineteen thirty. So he was thirteen when he killed his first turkey. Uh, and most people don't know either because we have some people that are like, all right, well, the math doesn't add up there. That should be more than 75 years, but he, uh, he spent three years with tuberculosis, uh, in the hospital, uh, quarantined off from the rest of the world, like not thinking that he was going to make it. Uh, you know, a lot of people died from tuberculosis back then. Uh, and he spent, I mean, years right when he got out of hospital, he he wanted to go to Mississippi state. That's how he ended up in Mississippi because he's from Alabama. But, uh, for three years of his life, he couldn't do anything outdoors. He couldn't hunt, couldn't do anything. Uh, and he ended up pulling through, and having a normal life and family and everything. Ooh, uh, what a so there's a few years that few years that he wasn't able to hunt. So we his streak is you know has a little asterisk on it. He yeah. wasn't able to hunt for those few years uh, in his in his early twenties, and then but every year that he's been able to turkey hunt, excluding those, uh, he's killed a turkey. Um, for a lot of people now. Now we got to now his honestly his deer streak is probably pretty close. I mean he freaking loves deer hunting too. Uh, he's obsessed. Uh, and we don't have, there's not a streak that we've kept count of there, but like I said, he's, I mean, this past year, the past five years, really, it's like, even if he only gets to hunt two or three times, cause you have to have two things work out. One, he's the opposite of a normal deer hunter. He's like, we're, if we want Papa to go, we're hoping for like 70 degree afternoons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cause it, if it's 48 degrees, it's, it might as well be 20 for him. It's just way too cold for him to hunt. Yeah. And, uh, so the, the days when the weather's not great for, for other people in deer season, uh, Especially in Mississippi, we get some of those days where it's 75 and sunny in the middle of December. Um, those are the times when Paul gets to go. So uh, he's got a, two things have to work for him. One, the weather, and two, he's got to wake up on the right side of the bed uh, and be feeling good. Yeah. So these past few years in deer season, I mean, he's only had two, three, maybe four days where he could go deer hunt, and he's killed a deer every single season. Uh, and like I said, this past year, too, and, and even had a shot at another, at a third buck. After that, and same with turkey season, he's only been once so far this year, even though our season's been open for three weeks, uh, and he didn't get one. But, uh, you know, this kind of mid to late April, when the weather is more consistently good, uh, after hopefully these tornadoes coming through tonight or the last stretch of really severe weather. Uh, but, yeah, whenever it starts getting warm, uh, the window – deer season is just different because you have these – the windows where it gets warm and the weather's good enough for him to go are just really small, but – once April rolls around every day, theoretically, it could be a day that he could go if it feels good. So sure. Wow. That's an inspiration. Uh, yeah. I, I think about like, uh, you know, when, when my grandpa passed away, they started taking grandma 
hunting and um she because they, they she'd been hunting before with them and he had been hunting a couple times with them but by and large they were just always traveling like their passion was just kind of traveling and going you know going places together seeing seeing you know the country together and so when when he passed away grandma i think mark was like hey why don't you come up for hunting and they started you know with with the deer hunting and i think the first thing was turkey hunting actually i think dad brought her up to camp for a turkey turkey hunt and you know like this past fall he had her in marks marks gets her on a deer every time he, she's there yeah. i mean he's you know marks the master guide uh but dad had her up this year for deer season and he could not get her on a buck like th i mean he any buck would have been on you know on the list like it yeah. didn't matter what size what age like she could have killed anything she wanted and they just had like you said like they, they it was always warm weather days it was always like she they would he built a lift on a tractor on the front bucket of a, a John Deere where he, cause she, she has real bad knee problems uh, and she's getting ready to go into surgery for her, actually. And um, so they'd put her on this lift and lift her up into the box blinds <laughs> and, and they built like a bridge with, <laughs> you know, with handles and everything like, to get her into the box blind. So there was, it was always a lot of commotion in and around the hunt and it was usually warm days and she killed i think she killed three does this year and she's a she's a dead eye but she really struggles when it's um she, she really struggles when the deer is kind of running or walking mm -hmm. or you know getting it in the scope and it's usually on a bog pot or something like that and so they, they just didn't get an opportunity at, yeah. at at the buck and she lets dad hear about that <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like through the season she kept saying like maybe we should go to mark's yeah. I, I couldn't think of anything funnier for dad to hear <laughs> that his mom's telling him that maybe they should go to his little brother's place <laughs> to try to get a deer on the ground but i i know that I, I can relate in the aspect of it's a very special feeling to continue to get them out. And it's something that they look forward to. Like she lives in a little community now uh, that she moved into. Um, uh, not even, a, it's not even assisted living. It's just like a, retirement a community. yeah retirement community thing. And, and all the, it's a, it's a lot of older ladies that there, a lot of the, the, guys have passed away right, yeah. and she brought in we had uh, her deer meat made into overly dog which i've talked about mm -hmm. on the podcast before basically a summer sausage and she, she cut it up and brought it in and they gobbled it up they all like she's a celebrity at this I'm place sure now. because yeah. they, they know that she's been on tv and she kills deer and she's, <laughs> you know she's 86 or whatever you know like everybody's amazed by it so i can only imagine i know like mr fox like the persona around him on even social media it's been fun to watch in this day and age because he's a celebrity right and he probably doesn't even know it or even care about that but just oh, him no, being able yeah. to get out there he's a celebrity hell i'm wearing him on my t-shirt <laughs> uh, it's, it's so funny yeah he's got i mean he still has a flip phone he he calls me and Neil all the time with uh uh like something he'll have a problem my grandmother will be on the computer has some issue gotta be fixed but uh there have been a few times where he calls us and he's like, Hey, my phone's not working. It won't ring. We go over there and it's just on vibrate. We got to turn the volume up. Uh, I mean, he, he could not, he's, he doesn't even know how to use the internet never even been on the internet. I mean, like I said, still has a flip phone. Uh, he's as old timer as it gets, but it is hilarious because all these people out there that are pulling for him and following along and, and wearing the Mr. Fox t-shirt and, uh, and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, he, he definitely has no clue. I mean, we share some of it with him, but it just, he can't even process it because he doesn't, it, it's literally, he's never spent a second on the internet. It'd be like trying to explain it to him in 1950. Mm -hmm. 
And then the, but the funny one was when uh, Morgan Wallen was on Saturday Night Live wearing the Mr. Fox T-shirt. Yeah, uh, I went over to his house and and pulled it up on YouTube and tried to show it to him. And it's like Sunday afternoon at, at two o'clock or something like that. And he thinks it's live on TV. I mean, he, he doesn't know if it's a, a YouTube yeah. video of of uh, uh, one of us hunting or if it's you know Fox News or ESPN watching a, a Mississippi State game or something like that. It's all TV to him. He literally doesn't know the difference. I mean, that might as well have been Saturday Night Live broadcasting yeah. uh, live right there. Yeah, but that's cool. He thought it was cool, but it, like I said, it, like if I show him a hunting video, he doesn't even know the difference. He's just like, it's all TV to him, and he thinks it's just cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So growing up, you know, you, you, your brother, your sister, like what was it like, you know, you guys were young kids when your dad started the company and, and you're around it, you know, you're seeing it kind of, I did it, I guess, did it register just how big it became in the nineties or is it something like, Hey, you're always around it on a day in and day, day out basis. So it, it just, you know, it's just normal for you guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it didn't really register until I was older, honestly. I mean, the, the social media, uh, has, has changed everything and it kind of like really makes you realize how, uh, big the scale is of, of everything. But yeah, whenever, when we were kids and we were growing up, uh, it was kind of funny. I mean, again, before social media, one of the funny things I used to hear a bunch of people say is like some of our buddies uh, or people we met that didn't hunt, they thought Mossy Oak was just a sporting goods store in West Point because you drive through town and you see the big mm-hmm. sign on the highway there and they yeah. thought that was Mossy Oak. Like, that's it. Uh, and the internet has kind of changed the the uh, exposure that everything gets and people, uh, you know, you don't have to just watch the Outdoor Channel to see uh, if we put out a really cool commercial uh, or anything that we do. Everybody's exposed to it now. Uh, and can can watch it, but no. When we were growing up, I mean, uh, I think when Mossy Oak really started taking off was around the like '94 to '96 when original Breakup came out, and that was kind of like turned into one of you know if you were a deer hunter, Breakup is is what you wore in a lot of areas in the country, uh, and and Mark and Terry had a lot to do with that because uh, they were you know they're some of the OGs. Whenever people talk about the early days of Mossy Oak, it's like dad and cousin Bob Dixon and, and uncle Bill and all those kind of folks. And then the, right after that, it's, uh, Mark and Terry and Will Primos that they're, that they're talking about is some of the early people that they always associate with Mossy Oak and, uh, really the, the, the Drews with what they did for, cause Will was, uh, you know, turkey hunting was at our core when we started. Uh, and that was, the, that's how bottom land was created to hide better from turkeys. Um, and so we were from the, from the get go, uh, we were, we were a turkey brand. Um, but our, you know, dad's friendship with Mark and Terry and the impact that, that jury outdoors had on, on Mossy Oak was enormous because that was really what turned Mossy Oak into a, into a whitetail brand. I mean, we're, we do it all. We duck deer, turkey hunt. It's all in our blood, but you know, like I said, it started with turkeys and, and our, the way dad's always been with, uh, with Mark and Terry. It, I mean, it had an enormous impact, especially there in the nineties when I was too young to even realize what was going on, kind of the glory days of of outdoor media when, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I, I wasn't old enough to process it, but hearing the stories, uh, back then from, uh, what everybody was, uh, able to do the, the numbers of people that were watching the TV show and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. To, and, and even bigger than that, that doesn't really exist anymore, but the VHS tape yeah. sales, I've got the old, uh, mega bucks and deer school and, and facts and feathers. Some Mossy Oaks old Turkey VHS is sitting on my shelf, but, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy, but no, I mean, we were just—I was just a kid growing up in West Point. I didn't realize how big Mossy Oak was. I didn't realize how many people were watching uh, the stuff on TV. I didn't realize how many people were buying VHS tapes and 
uh, I wasn't really traveling. So now you go around the country and you have, or you go to trade shows uh, and you have people coming up to you from every random state telling you what dad and papa or whoever means to them or how cool they thought some hunt was. Um, but back then, you know, you're a kid, there's no internet. I'm not really traveling. I don't even go to the NWTF convention or any of those shows. You just don't really know until you, uh, grow up, but I freaking love, I mean, the older I get, the more I love going back and watching those old videos, yeah. uh, and, and kind of reliving the glory days that I was too young to experience back then. I mean, it was, that was, it was a really, really cool time for Mossy Oak and for the hunting, uh, world as a as a whole you think about it the parallel really between mossy oak and drury and our our we're connected i mean we've been together you guys were what uh, started in was it 86 or 85 86 yeah 86 we started in 88 89 officially 89 but it the the relationship and that friendship that you spoke about the parallels between the two companies and the rise through the nineties and that deer, you know, we got our start with Turkey. I mean, we were a Turkey brand at heart, that bottom land. And I remember seeing Mark and Terry, you know, on, I think it was sound of the spring, that intro where they stepped out of the woods with all these other hunters that were hidden in the woods. Like that's, that is a freaking classic. Right. And, and you know, where dad lives, uh, Toxie, killed a bird there where dad Mark, dad and Toxie went on a hunt and, and killed a bird on this piece of property that dad bought. And then ended up, ended up building his house right there where, where they killed that bird. And like, there's so, there's so much intertwined between the two companies and there's so many parallels in our histories. And you talked about the mid nineties. I mean, that's where, you know, when we went from Turkey hunting to deer hunting, that's really when we started to, to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then the, the late nineties, the, the VHS into the DVDs. And I mean, then the early two thousands, when we went to television, that opportunity we got was because biologic Mossy Oak, they gave us an opportunity to produce our first TV show. And it's just been crazy the rise since then. And so when we talk about, um, family and, and what the companies mean to each other, it, it, it goes well beyond what any, anybody can really think about, you know, because of what Mark, Terry and Toxie and those relationships that they formed back then and how they've really, they've changed the course of our I know personally, I can say for those two, the course of our history, our family history yeah. and what what our career paths might, you know, Taylor, myself, you know, Mark Terry career paths, literally. And then, you know, we think about the employees that we have and the families that we help, you know, the livelihoods that that comes because of the relationship with Moss Yoke and the support that they've given us really like blind support and everything we've done throughout the years take a gamble on these two boys from missouri yeah and continue to i mean whether it was critical mass or dream season or whatever the show is these guys have always supported us and it means a lot and um you know it's 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 interesting because there's a disconnect in in the form of the, these guys are so far from where we're, we're at but there's no disconnect in the form of you know mark you know and toxie talking or chris paradise who's you know one of the main guys there and and Mark and, you know, we, we still chat all the time sure. and uh, the relationships as strong as it's ever been. And so I know that, you know, when these guys go out and they have something new that they're, that they're getting behind, we want to be behind it with them. We want to help promote and push it for them because the, the, it's a, it's a family at this point, yeah. you know? And so 33 years later, you know, it's really probably more than that because Mark used to rep Mossy Oak, you know, back in the day in the Midwest. And, you know, there's just, there's a, there's some deep history there. 
And I know it parallels as you go through the nineties and like just kind of the rise of both companies, they're, they're, you know, going along yeah, with each other. Yeah. One Moss Yoke really pulling us along with mm -hmm. them for the ride. And as you mentioned, Mark and Terry helping with, with the camo patterns there and, you know, jumping into deer hunting in the mid nineties, like that, that's really where we then got our identity and brand identity going forward. So it's just been a cool, it's been cool to watch. And as, as you said, like growing up, I don't know that I was really aware of just how special it was, you know, but you, I've been here at, at Drury for 18, 19 years now. And you, you, I've got to see a big part of our, our history, you know, up close and personal and to see it now compared to what I remember in the late eighties and early nineties, them trying to hustle and, you know, get the VHS title on the shelves and, and get them in front of people. Like it's, a, it's, for, it's simply amazing to see, mm -hmm from then to now what's happened and in general what industry what the industry has done in in that 35 year time frame so that, that it's just cool i'm glad you you came on to share some of that with us yeah well, and hey you mentioned it but that uh that sounds of spring intro I, I think is the greatest intro to any hunting video of all time excluding tk mike tk mike are kind of on another level yeah. nobody can ever touch uh, their video intros but other than them that sounds spring intro you're talking about. Y'all need to put a link in the description of this podcast or, or some easy way for people to go look it up because that video is legendary. It is. It is. Like you just see people like materializing. <laughs> like SEAL team, like <laughs> materializing out of out of the timber. And there's probably five, six guys that came out of that. And that was shot, if I remember right, that was shot. That might have been on that same piece. It was either the 40 acre club in Bloomsdale where we used to, you know, Mark and Terry used to hunt or it was dad's piece of property there. It was one of those two places where they sh shot uh, that intro. The other thing that, that happened there, I think, because I, I was a kid back during those days and it felt like if you were hunting in camo, like especially when I, you know, I grew up in the 80s, usually you put on like some army, like some army yeah. surplus store camo that you got. But it was finally like. We have our own camo now as a hunting community. Yeah. This is really this is something that's purpose built for the hunter, not just something that got decommissioned from the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah. Are are you amazed at just how popular bottomland? You you think about like throwback jerseys in the sporting world, like bottomland. It's crazy how popular that is, and it's it's a throwback that really people a lot of people want to have as like, you know, their camo of choice, you know, do you guys sit back and say, this is the original, you know, basically the original camo and here it is like, it holds up 35 years later. Uh, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Uh, Cause back in the day, you know, before it got, had like a full on reemergence that it's, that it's had, uh, there's always been a core of uh, turkey hunters who they, you know, they stitch up their old bottom line. They're going to get their, wife or mom or grandma to set it up for them and they're like they have a jacket or a shirt or a pair of pants that they can never retire uh and so i would dig in dad's closet or papa's closet and rob their old stuff and and wear it and people would you know in the company or whatever they'd be like oh we got these other great new camouflage patterns on so-and-so apparel company that uh is the greatest stuff in the world and you're wearing that old goofy stuff and i like i didn't care i, I freaking love my old pair of coveralls or whatever it is i'm, I'm wearing and uh but to see it now be so popular where you can find it anywhere. I mean, people deer hunt, duck hunt, turkey hunt. We have buddies elk hunting. And I mean, uh, it shows up everywhere. And from a lifestyle perspective, you got, I mean, if you go to the store, there's a good chance you're going to see somebody wearing a mossy oak hoodie or a uh, shirt or whatever. And half the time it's, it's bottom land. I mean, it, it, uh, it's, I mean, I'm clearly biased and I've always thought it was the greatest looking camouflage pattern 
uh, ever made, both from an effectiveness standpoint and from just the way it looks. It looks great. I'm wearing a tree stand shirt right now, but it, it's you know primarily bottom land with everything for the first 15 years had bottom land in the background and you could look at it and you immediately saw it and you knew it was bottom land, but uh, it, it's been incredible to watch how popular it's become. And not just because that was another thing people used to say is they used to make it sound like it was an old timer thing. But I mean, you see kids that are, I mean, it literally used to see anyone from age 15 to age 90 uh, and they could be wearing old school mossy oak. It's not just a nostalgia thing that some people kick the dust off and bust out of the closet. I mean, uh, everybody thinks it's cool now and I think it's the greatest thing in the world. Cause I've always, it's, it's never waned with me. Uh, it's our most it's, popular it's, thing. Like our, we got a deer cast hat in bottomland Richardson 112. And we have, we have a couple other DOD hats in, in bottomland and we have a hoodie in bottomland and by far they sell, I don't know, 10 to one better than anything else we sell. It's just like, people love that pattern, man. It's so great. And it's, it's such a cool testament to dad back then too, because there were some other camouflage patterns developed in that kind of late eighties, early nineties time period that didn't really stand the test of time or they were, uh, they were popular, but nobody's trying to find them on eBay. Yeah. And now, I mean, not, everybody has the, you know, fistful of dirt story, but dad literally, he got a fistful of dirt sticks and leaves, filled up a Ziploc bag and went and created bottomland to give hunters something that they could wear, uh, with their back up against a tree. Um, which is, you know, you can hunt any animal with your back up against a tree. So that's why it's been so popular across uh, a bunch of different pursuits. Um, but that, that's the crazy thing too, is not just everybody wearing it, but the, the internet culture of people trying to track it down is so wild. I mean, l- last week, somebody paid $650 for an uninsulated old, that old, uh, like mossy jacket with all the uh, bottom of jacket with all the pockets. That's got the corduroy uh, yeah. collar on it that, uh, David Holly, Wild Turkey Report, calls it the green jacket of uh, since the Masters just happened. He calls it the green jacket of turkey hunting. <laughs> that's but awesome. Somebody paid six hundred fifty bucks for that thing. Uh, that's probably got some you know old guys sweat and cigarette smoke on it, <laughs> uh, and they don't care. I mean, I've, people pay. I've seen hats sell for two hundred dollars on eBay that are old Mossio cats with the old patch uh, logo on them. I mean, it, it's it's crazy how. Uh, how, mu- how much people value that that old stuff. I can remember like a decade ago, Brick Stewart, who's one of the guys on our team, he w- he was always going on like Craigslist or eBay or whatever and finding those, you know, old bottomland, sure. that and like old jury VHS, t- like those two things, you know, like and Brick, I, obviously he was, he's, you know, he's a big fan of the Mossy Oak side and he was mm-hmm. always writing Mark and Terry letters trying to get, you know, trying to get on the team from way back when. So he's a, he's a diehard, you know, follower, but he's that's the, totes of that stuff now. Yeah. But that's the guy you're talking about. Basically mm-hmm. he's, who's going out and trying to find that stuff on eBay and it's collector item. It's cool. I wish I oh, had got, all my, an heirloom that uh, not very many people have. I remember him bought it and sent a picture, but uh, it was an old Mossy Oak shirt that had a patch on it that says either Mossy Oak team or Mossy Oak staff or something. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there, there's probably, I've probably seen less than three of those ever pop up on the internet. I think he got it for 40 or 50 bucks. He could probably sell it for 500. It's um, crazy. <laughs> it's it's cool looking. Makes me wish I had some of the old Drury Outdoor stuff from the old trucker hats and stuff that Mark and Terry used to have. I mean, yeah. we had all that stuff, but I. 30 years of, yeah. 33 years of history. It's like we're surrounded by nostalgia already. It's so hard to like figure out what should I keep and what should I get rid of because I'm running out Mark of space. and Terry err on the side of throwing it all away. <laughs> like, I know how they both are. It's like, no, I'll toss it. It's nobody. Nobody cares. It's like oh, somebody does actually. So, yeah. well, we you know Daniel, we've kept you a long, long time. We're about to get into some of our like 
you know, shenanigans here on the set that we usually get into. You want to stick around or you got stuff to do? And we totally get it if you got stuff to do. I, I, I do have to dip, but I've enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, I love talking to you guys. Then, like you said, Drury and Mosiok have uh, gone together, uh, I mean, forever. That's always been, I mean, and I, the, that's the other thing I forgot to mention too. Dad loves telling a story about uh, telling Mark that uh, if he needed a job when he got out of school, uh, that, you know, he'd just come talk to him and he would take care of him. And he talks about Mark sleeping on his couch back in the day and applying for his very first job at uh, Mossy Oak before he started doing his own thing and all that. So, I mean, it really does. It, uh, you said it, but it's, we've, we've been inseparable for the entirety that Mossy Oak has been around. And, uh, and you said that Mossy Oak carried Drury along, but you really, you can't, uh, talk enough about how important Drury was to Mossy Oak's success in that really transformational period in the mid to late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, so yeah, that's the, everybody else just sees bottom land and these old patterns and they associate Mossy Oak's heritage and culture with it. And they think they're great looking patterns, but, uh, really diving deep into our, our archives beyond the patterns of some of the old videos and some of the priceless stuff that never made it to TV. Uh, a lot of which had happened with Mark Terry, cousin and dad. Uh, we've got some gold mines in here. We should probably dig in our archives and do a better job of sharing that stuff on social media. Cause there's some absolute gold when I, when Mark and Terry and dad and cuz were all, all younger. A hundred percent. It's funny you say that. I, was, I just watched this documentary on Netflix no, maybe a week or two ago is a Kanye West one oh, yeah. and they had footage of him from this guy followed him around since basically his rise before he was famous and I thought to myself like you know it'd be a total passion project to do it but to go back we have all of our SVHS titles like we got all of this footage and it would be gold to create some sort of documentary like going back and and showing kind of the history of it you know from then to now and it, it would it would be a, a heart and soul kind of a project but it would be cool and you, you basically the same thing you guys would be able to do the same thing because so much of it exists you just got to be able to go back and and spend the time to look through it all yeah it would be uh it, it would be like two years of of dedicated work focusing on nothing else to dig through because the amount of video that's been recorded over the years, those old VHS master tapes and everything. I mean, it is, it's daunting, but if you were ever able to dig it out uh, and put something together, you could put, I mean, they'd be some of the coolest uh, hunt videos ever made. No doubt. No doubt. Well, we appreciate you jumping on with us, man. Tell the family we said hi. And uh, I, I, I look forward to seeing how many uh, people buy that Turkey stamp. Pretty awesome that you guys are doing that. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, We'll be trying to get Papa back out there. Hopefully we got some pictures to share sometime in the month of April uh, oh, with him cool. with the turkey. And y'all, good luck to y'all the rest of turkey season. Too. Yeah, you too, right. buddy. Thanks, Thanks again. All right. Take care. Happy Easter. All right. You well, to, you need to get me one of those stamps. They're really cool. They are cool. I, I was checking it out. I need it. It's $15. You go to Mossyoke. Dot com mm -hmm. and you can and you can find it there but they got all the information as to what they're you know who how they're gonna uh, appropriate the funds and and go from there so yeah. they said it could take a couple of weeks due to the popularity it could take a couple of weeks to to get the stamp ship but sure. uh pr pretty awesome and what that's one of those collector items deals like you know we was talking about all those state stamps and stuff like i remember as a kid you know in the 90s like dad would have portraits, you know, like paintings and stuff where you'd have the stamp and the painting, yeah. Yeah. you know, they were always collector items and they'd sell them, you know, this is, you know, 25 out of a hundred or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. how they'd sell limited runs of them. But heck, that was like all of our decoration in the house for the longest time. <laughs> There's a motif here. That's right. Yeah. I, my great uncle used to carve wooden duck decoys 
and I would give anything now to have one of those. I, I, I he sold them, and other family members yeah. got them and stuff. But it would be so cool to have stuff like that. I think as you get older, you you have more of a mind towards preserving history, preserving yeah. the nostalgia. One of the things I'm 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 gonna do for my kids is buy them lifetime hunting and fishing licenses. Scott was just saying that yesterday. We were talking about that. It, it makes yeah. you know just the economics of it makes so much sense. But it, you know, I I like the thought of them thinking of me years in the future after i'm gone like they don't got to worry about it it's taken care of yeah yeah pretty cool so we should probably get into our real wild clip of the week because this one is it's wild and it's domestic (laughs) okay let's see it let's set this baby up here all right so we've got a huge bull squaring up with a buck and obviously this is during the rut yeah, so we're sitting. The the scene is it's like a barnyard scene here, and this this buck is not take. I mean, it's a pretty big bull, and it's not taking. <laughs> it's like, hey, get out of my way, man! You're in the you're in my way. I'll fight anybody yeah. right now. And the crazy thing, Do you is, look at my girl. The, the bull is the bull is backing down. The buck yeah. has got this guy on his heels. It's probably like, what's your problem, man? <laughs> the, the, the one thing I I well, obviously the, the buck is super super aggressive, but also, and he's he, circling him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and and he runs the bull off here at the end. Yeah, and you think about like the 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 logistics of the antlers getting in there. I'm I'm thinking like the antlers are probably getting close to the bull's eyes, and it probably doesn't feel great. And yeah, he's got nothing except one big hard head. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Poor bull. Yeah, but man, he yeah. postures the buck. Postures. He comes on him sideways, kind of walks him in Sidling circles, up on him, and then he he says, "Hey, get on, get on out of here. That, get that, on out of here. Get on up out of here. <laughs> that buck's got some." Uh, Got some cojones. Yeah, that's really wild. <laughs> it was. All right. Real wild. All right. So moving along. Do we have any new rack packers? We do. Yeah. We got a whole bunch of them. That's the last thing we should do? Or should we do it next? You tell me. You're the guy. Let's hop into our question of the day. All right. We got a buddy that needs a little bit of help with uh, predators. All righty. So the question of the day is probably brought to you by Sportsman's Channel, the proud home of Winchester and Drury's natural born and everything red, wild, and blue. A lot of pride up in there. Question of the day from Herb Bowman. Is bobcats hurting your turkey population? Seems like it is here in southern Ohio. Thank you. So Herb's asking if bobcats are hurting the turkey population. I'd say I think that's a pretty much a no-brainer. They are, right? 100%. It's a nest predation is one of the, you know, the toughest things that turkeys go through, whether it's coons or possums or, you know, everything's trying to get a wild turkey, it seems like. Well, if anyone's watched bobcat stalk and attack, I mean, we had that real wild clip of the, the bobcat attacking a small buck. They are incredible predators. Yeah. So you got you got poults all the way up to adult uh, gobblers that a bobcat could completely take out. Yeah. Yeah. So you're dealing with you know nest predation from some of the smaller things, but and snakes, whatever. But then you're dealing with just trying to live every day from yeah. being a poult on for you know for a bigger predator like a bobcat. So yeah, yeah I know Terry. We talked about it maybe. a two podcasts ago or the one with Dustin where, you know, they trapped for a couple of years on his, his piece and, and did a lot more predator control and it's made a huge difference in his Turkey population. So Herb, I'd say, yes, it affects them. It's one of many things that affects them. That's why I mentioned nest predation. But, um, I think if you can trap successfully trap, you know, uh, 
bobcats, it'll certainly help your cause. And they're not too bad to eat. <laughs> I'm going to take your word for that. I can verify that. <laughs> okay, speaking of words, the wildlife word, it's brought Did you. Did you hear that? I heard some crickets. I got diarrhea. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> got the bobcats I'm words. Throw up. <laughs> Right. The Wildlife Word is brought to you by Hunter Specialties, makers of the Tom Taken Gobbler Getting DOD Signature Series of Turkey Calls. Did you come up in that? I did. Hmm. wonder if they'll hire me. Eh. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> I can play guitar. I can come up with copy. You're a real jack copy. of all trades, I, I, master I of none. <laughs> so true. <laughs> when scouting, <laughs> so this Wildlife Word is going to be right up your alley. Oh, It's about poop. Uh. When scouting for turkeys and you find scat in the shape of a J, you've likely found sign from a... Excuse me? <laughs> a breakfast burrito. An A, gnome. B, a hen. C, a Jake or a Tom. Or D, a constipated snake. Man, I really have no idea. I'm gonna, it's got to be either B or C. Um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with B. Okay. It's actually a Jake or a Tom. Damn it. And it has to do with the physiology of their cloaca. The sphincter? Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. When I learned that word in like biology in high school, I came home and told dad about it. I was like, you're never going to believe about this word sphincter. He's like, oh, great. I got a genius on my hands here. It's And it's... Done me well in life. Look at us now. Did you know your body has multiple sphincters? I, I did hear this not too long ago. Wow. I did not know well, that. You listen to more medical podcasts? I don't know where you I heard talk it. Talk about your pylorus sphincter I think it today. was like more, you know, fart talk. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I picked hard, it up. It's hard to pin it down. It could have been any conversation. Those are the podcasts I'm tuned into. <laughs> like this one, Tim. Yeah. So so if you're out scouting for turkeys, and typically like uh, a hen's uh, a hen scat is going to be either balled up or kind of spiraled. He spiral. called the poop scat. Continue. Sorry. No, we're just getting very uh, very technical here. <clears throat> sorry. Ma- sorry. Continue. Ma- maintain our rating on Apple Podcasts. So yeah, you find J-shaped scat. It's probably from a male bird. Hmm. So hmm. there you go. No, I know. Hey. Dude, this morning I was so okay. I'm driving. It has not scat talk. It's not poop talk, but it, it is turkey talk. So I'm taking the kids to school, and every day I come out of the neighborhood, take a right, got to make another right to go to Cameron School. And there's this corner of property, this farmland corner corner of the property, where only during turkey season these freaking turkeys the they always come out. It, yeah, I put it up on Instagram as a real uh, Matt Drury eighty one and oh, shameless plug. And these turkeys, like I always see one or two, and I always think to myself, like, geez, I, I would love to be able to hunt these birds. Like you can't, just can't get permission on this piece. And uh, sure enough, there's a whole flock of them out there today, <laughs> strutting, and, and there's some jakes and long beards. And I, I was so I'm driving. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm flipping. Out. I'm like, there's turkeys, you know. <laughs> and I got a mouth call in the truck because I've been practicing on the yeah. way to work when I don't, you know, so I don't bother anybody else with these horrible Appreciate sounds. That. So. I, I roll down the window real quick and the kids are looking out and I'm trying to fumble and get a mouth call and I'm trying to video it, you know, and, and then a car comes up behind me. I was like, shit. So I had to, you know, keep driving. I took Cameron to school on the way back to go take Lola over to her school. 
I was like, I'm going to go back the other way huh? <laughs> instead of going the easy way. They're I went back the other way. They're still there. Well, this uh, time I had the call in my mouth. Like I immediately had, I had the call in my mouth. I had practiced the, the next five minutes on the way to school okay. and back. And the kids are like, you know, Lola said yeah, that Lola I sound like a dog farting. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, thanks Lola. But anyway, so I'm practicing. So we get up and I, I got the phone handy. Nobody's behind me. I got the phone handy. So I quick, you know, make a couple calls. They gobble and then a car comes up. I would have stayed there for the next 20 minutes if I could have because I'm like, Wearing this is the first time I've ever gotten a turkey to gobble to a mouth call. Yeah, check it out. Because I've never tr I've never really done it. Sure. You know, like I'm always sure. with dad or, you know, somebody that's a better caller. Yeah. So you let them call. That's great feedback though. Well, yeah, it may have been the Jakes that gobbled. I was so like blown away that something reacted to <laughs> something I, I really did. Me. Yeah, that I I don't know who did it, <laughs> but Lola's like, oh, she starts giggling. She's like, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, man, that is cool. And so that's what your daddy does for work. That's baby. right. So I'm driving away and I keep calling. She's like, you could blow that thing later when I'm once I'm. She's five. She's like, you could blow that thing later when I you drop me off. I send the video to Miranda and she's like, see, why did you need to buy a farm? We got turkeys right here. I'm like, yeah, God, that wasn't the point. Backfire. <laughs> Touché. She's like, she's like, of course you would have a turkey call with you. <laughs> okay, this is going the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I texted, honey. <laughs> I'm gonna See you later. tell somebody else that <laughs> might care. <laughs> I'm gonna tell my friends on the show they care I'm about gonna me. Tell people on Instagram, and I did. That was cool. I have like cool video. several thousand views within like an hour. Let me see. Let me see where I'm at now, Tim. You. It's a big, big Struder alongside Highway 141. <laughs> I usually see him in the evening. He's going it's home. It's up to 4,600 views. Holy. Crow. I just posted it literally like huh. a couple hours ago. I think people are shocked that you got them to <laughs> respond. They're, they're probably dissecting. I haven't looked at the comments. They're probably making Listen fun of the guy. call. This guy's an idiot. Oh, <laughs> I thought he was related wrong. to the juries. I knew he wasn't a jury. He's adopted. <laughs> people can be so mean. <laughs> You're the people. <laughs> you are people. A little bit. I'll do it to your face. Hey, ditto. I've made <laughs> yeah. fun of you nonstop about your guitar playing since <laughs> you've done it. It's been a thing. <laughs> That's why we're friends. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Yep. If I could find the soundbite. <laughs> we got a bunch of new friends in the rack pack. <laughs> I just saw that. I don't believe it, but I just saw that. It just happened. But y'all say that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not part of the rack pack, it's easy. Go to Facebook, type in 100% Wild Rack Pack. We will pop up, answer the membership questions, and then welcome yourself on in all right so every week i read the names every week there's somebody fake every week i butcher almost everyone's name every week we make fun of matt in one more this is a segment <laughs> this it is, is a yeah. segment it's a standard that's right all right we got billy lamb dominic dujic dujic i don't know no. kim mccombs hey i know that one that's my sister <laughs> Did, did she? I invited her. Okay. I, <laughs> That's I, a I by Matt Drury, I was like, did she? Does she really need more adolescent male humor? Probably not. Life? She helps us with her graphics from time to time, so I figured she'd want to be involved. Okay. I, I actually invited a couple wrong, people. But... I'm like, how are? I looked through. Like, okay, here's what started it. All right, I see this name. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna finish the story in a second. So we got Derek Kavam, hmm. Hugh Jantlers, ha, huge. Antlers, I get it. Boom. I caught it this time. Huge antlers. <laughs> yes. Shane Thompson, Brett Green, Perry Batten, 
Debbie Wong Chong. Now, dude, if you would have started with Debbie Wong Chong, you got to place these better because I would have totally said that was a fake name. Couldn't do that to Debbie. Yeah. Well, anyhow, so Perry Batten joined. I saw him join the Rack Pack. He's, you know, he's instrumental at Mark's Farm there, one of the farm managers. Yeah, instrumental and farm manager. And so I saw he joined. I thought, well, God dang. <laughs> Who the hell else that's a part of Jury Outdoors <laughs> needs to join? So I started looking, and there's a lot of people. I'm not going to name names, but there's a lot of you people that need to join the <laughs> a rack. Lot of problems pack. with you people. Yeah. So <laughs> a few of them. A few of them are now a part of the Rack Pack, but it's because I invited them. They want to be here or not. That's right. I was wondering how they all yes. happened to be in the group. There's but. a few that I purposely left off because I'm now waiting to see if they join the Rack Pack. <laughs> trick to yeah. test him don't hold your breath all right all right we got uh jay mason 96 over on apple podcast give us five stars we really appreciate that he says big w i've listened to this from the beginning i'm from northeast art i'm from northeast arkansas and we have a lot of similarities in hearts food and class of deer sorry about that this podcast has always <laughs> made me more and more driven to become a better conservationist and leaser this is a good change for hunters that want to learn and have fun in the form of a chill fun podcast big win boys keep it going p.s go cards hey now hey now baseball emoji big w we appreciate it uh, he's probably going to want to listen to one of our upcoming shows with a very special guest hmm. i don't even know who this guest may be do. i he's don't instru- he's an instrument of cardinals baseball well, okay, I, I do know. All right, moving on. Because I don't it's know when tease. that may be. Yeah. <laughs> it so could keep be listening, everybody. months till that happens. All right, well, I got to go, Tim. I got I got shit to do. I got to get back to work. Really? I got a Zoom call here with a very important meeting. I got to get out. Oh, okay, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and watching. If you're not watching the show, we really suggest that there's a lot more to the show than just what you hear. If you want to watch it, head into DeerCast or over on the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. Those are the best two places to watch it. Yes. And uh, we appreciate the feedback. Keep it coming. Till next time, peace out. The results are in. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.